This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Louisa Furia, a first-year MRC student at Columbia GSAP. I'm speaking with Mexican architect Rosanna Montiel in advance of her lecture at the school on January 22nd, 2019. Founder of Rosanna Montiel Estudio de Arquitectura, her work spans various scales from design objects to housing to urban interventions. Montiel exhibited at the 2016 Venice Biennale and more recently was the winner of the 2017 Moira Gemmel Prize awarded by the Architectural Review. Congratulations on a totally stellar year, and thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you for inviting me. I wanted to open the conversation today with a statement made by you that I think quickly gets to the core of the attitude behind your work. You've said, when people become engaged in the betterment of their community, they care more for each other. Can you explain this relationship between personal investment in the built environment and the resulting social relationships? How do you engage people in the betterment of their community? What makes your architecture social? Well, there are several aspects, but I could say that one of the things that we do is that we listen. We listen the needs of people, and we also work with the people and not only for the people. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. And um, we do several side actions that are ephemeral, ludic, very like low cost, and we engage people changing their perception of what they have. So when they engage with something that we create in just a very ephemeral way, they want it to be permanent. Mm -hmm. So then they ask for it and then they start working with us in that sense. Also, I'm very interested in doing, as you said, like all these social projects because I think that architecture is not only the brick construction, but it's a social construction. And if you don't pay attention of the people, people's needs, then you are not engaging any type of architecture. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering what it means for you then to work sustainably and democratically. That's kind of what you're known for doing with projects like Common Unity and Core. And I'm wondering if that definition of sustainability and democracy changes when the local community changes, or if that is something that stays you know, the same for you across the board of projects that you do? Well, we have had an amazing experience that after we finish the projects, because we work with the people along the project, but I think it's very important that not just to finish the project and just go, but you have to follow up, mm-hmm. you know, like after what happens after. So sometimes it's very difficult because like the clients don't allow us anymore or it's dangerous to go there again. Okay. But like we create a great relationship with the people since the beginning. So after I have been, for example, in Common Unity, I have been going many times after. And uh, I know a lot of people and we keep talking. And I think that that's very important, no? like it becomes sustainable because if after it's finished and it continues being kept, you know, like if people engage, they feel ownership, then the place is well kept and then they sustain it, they maintain it. And that has been a 
great difference because most of the places are abandoned, are underused, or people don't take care. No? Now people gather together, they sweep the floor, mm -hmm. they talk, they, they feel secure. And so all of these changes like really um, have done a social cohesion um, that's been like really, really amazing. Like even us as architects are really impressed with that change. Yeah, I think that ownership is amazing. And especially because you're from Mexico City, you work in Mexico City, you live in Mexico City. I'm wondering if you understand that so well because you feel a real sense of responsibility to Mexico City. And I'm wondering, yeah, do you have a responsibility to Mexico and Mexico City? And is your responsibility different as an architect than it is as a civilian? Because you are both working in both of those worlds. Well, I think that every architect has the responsibility of doing social projects. In Mexico, it's like there's a big difference between rich and poor. There's a big difference between social differences. And we're very privileged to have, you know, like a firm, to have a studio, to work in different places in the world. So I think that it's, you have to do it. It's not an option. It's you have to do it. The office works with private projects, but it also works all the time with public projects. Mm -hmm. And they're inseparable. Yeah, that disparity obviously is very much present here as well. And when I was looking at your website and your practice, I noticed a photo in your studio that is a note in all caps, and it just says, question the money source. And I think that's exactly, that's so brilliant because, you know, people are paid to build these inequalities, right, in both of these countries. And I want to know as, you know, a young, well-intentioned designer, what sort of questions like, where is this money coming from? Do I need to ask myself every day? Do I need to ask my peers and my professors in order to elevate architecture to the ethical profession that, yeah, it absolutely should be? What are those kind of hard questions that I need to ask? I think that what I have done a lot is that I have gone out and looked for my own projects. Mm. Some of them come to the office, but others, like, I go out and then I create this project and for the community, and then we go out and search for the money. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. I think the architect is in between many places. It's not We're not only designers, We're in between, like we have to talk with the client, we have to talk with the municipality, we have to talk with the community, and we're sometimes it's really difficult, no? Because the client doesn't understand the community, mm -hmm. but the municipality doesn't pay attention to the community. So, like we, when we were doing this project of Walk the Line that we show at the Venice Biennale with Derek Delecamp and Tatiana Bilbao and Alejandro Hernandez. The formal institutions were asking to give us money to do it. They were saying, okay, so we need a formal letter from the community mm -hmm. so that they can say that, yes, the, the lights that we're going to put, they're completely in order, legal. And the community was saying, well, sorry, we cannot give that card, no. <laughs> that letter. In order to give that letter, the, if you want that letter from the municipality, Of the, of the place that the community is, then we will have to wait five years because mm. they're not going to give it. So 
how are we going to do it, formal or informal? So what we do that the community says, so we do it in the informal way and on our way, (laughs) to say it again, we become formal. Yeah. But we have to do a lot of things and we have to play with this informal and formal all the time as architects to get the, the best of the project because we care about design but we also care about the community needs and so we have to interweave them and sometimes it's very difficult. So you have to be very patient and, and continue doing it. Yeah. No, I, I love that you bring up that project because I think it perfectly captures the way that you are a space maker. And when I was looking at, you know, a lot of your work, like the Albino Ortega house, these beautiful, materially, you know, incredible architectural pieces, you still very much get the sense that you guys believe that architecture is in the non-material, right? It Everything happens sort of in the void and it can be incredibly informal and so I would love to hear a little bit more about the projects like you know City Out of Line or even Void Temple where you're just using a single line or the least amount of material possible to really create experience I mean what is so powerful about just the single line you know is it just space place and a little bit of delineation and maybe some time that's required to create experience? Is that really all that it takes? So I think that, well, one of the most important things, and you mentioned it about Albino Ortega House, is that really when you're there, you can experience like uh, an amazing well state of being. It's, it's a place for contemplation. There's many spaces that you go and the client always calls me and said well I'm in a different space and I'm so happy and now I've changed to this other place and so so it's about experience Mm -hmm. and it's about material materiality it's about space it's about light there are many things that also like get together so it can become a timeless place I I, I believe that architecture should be a temporal And it's just the way in how you use the materials. If you resignify materials that you use every day, then you get a new material. You change the perception of that material. And that's what we have been trying to do. Yeah, that's great. I wanted to change the focus maybe a little bit, again, with something that you said that you mentioned earlier, but that all architecture is political. You've said that we can read in daily spaces the political priorities of our our society and that architecture has the power to shape civic behavior because more than laying bricks, you know, it's laying the foundations and the principles of public and social exchanges. So I'm wondering as somebody who is not from the U.S., doesn't do that much work in the U.S. and maybe has the emotional distance necessary to see really what's happening here clearly, I'm curious to know what sort of political priorities maybe you see in American built environments in our sort of everyday spaces. I think that so much of the political environment that we're in can be physically seen in built projects or built infrastructure. And maybe you could talk, I mean, maybe you can talk about how you see that in Mexico, not necessarily here. I'm not sure even where I see it here. I mean, I was thinking 
this past week, I don't know if you've seen this, but there is a petition online to basically landmark the eight prototypes of Trump's border wall. I mean, they really do look like conceptual art, right? They look like these kind of like Richard Serra, like Donald Judd pieces. And it's truly bizarre, right? Because it's not like we ever said that the Berlin Wall was, you know, a piece of art. And there are these things that I think, you know, are important because they do talk about our history, but maybe they (laughs) don't need to be turned into art. I don't know, maybe we can talk about... So we're starting a studio at Cornell University with Derek Delecamp mm-hmm. and myself. And the title is Fly on the Wall. Mm. And so Fly on the Wall refers to different things. It, it's talking about Mexico and U.S. And it's, we're going to talk about border. What does a border mean in very different ways? And then we're, what we're doing, it's one atlas, six concerns, and 13 visions of the border. Mm. And we're going to do these concerns with the methodology of Abby Warburg, and then the 13 visions with the utopian, dystopian idea of how to create a better world. And um, here we, mentioning the political issue, here in this studio, what we want is that we really think about what's happening, what's going on. You know, like we want to question, we want to trigger all these questions of the border and what does it really mean. And not just we're talking about the wall, not, but we're talking about different arguments about the negative space, about what's been happening. So that's the studio about. So I think it's going to be very rich in all these ideas of what, the border means and what we can do with these utopian or these visions with the students. Mm-hmm. You want to teach that here as well, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> well, you know, that's all I have for you. I, I'd love to keep talking to you and keep you here all evening, but we do have to unfortunately share you with the rest of the GSAP community. Thank you so much for this conversation and for the work you do. I can't wait for your lecture. Oh, thank you very much, Louisa. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with Arc Daily. We launched a new series of podcasts called Constructing Practice, in which young architects from around the world speak about their motivations, challenges, and what it means to start a new practice in their respective context. Look for it on iTunes and find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.